0: Lord Jesus, we are grateful that there is power in your name. God, that there is strength in just who you are. Lord, you know the battles that we face. You know the tears that have been shed. Lord, in your word says that there is strength, there is power, there is redemption. In your name. Jesus, I'm so grateful that there is power and strength in your name and not mine. God, that means that that you oversee my life. Lord, that you see the good, the bad, the ugly, and all the in between. Jesus, and it it really doesn't matter at the end of the day how good or how bad or how fragile I am. Jesus, what matters is that I count your name, that I find strength in you alone. Jesus, for for those of us that are suffering with, with physical illness this morning, Jesus, we believe in your word, and your word says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. Jesus, and that power is no match for whatever I'm facing. Jesus, for those of us with financial struggles, with with mental health struggles, Lord, God, with relationships that are strained, the same power that raised you from the dead is alive in me. Jesus, can I live in that power? Can I live in the power that your name has? Lord, that your name gives me Jesus, we love you so much, and we are excited to to be in your presence this morning. God, I pray that you would work through the words of the sermon, Jesus, that, that you would pierce our hearts with the truth. Lord, that you would give us grace to respond and to listen. Lord Jesus, and ultimately to continue to look more and more like you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Well, good morning. morning. How are you guys? I haven't gotten to talk to all of you guys yet. You doing all right? All right. (laughs) I mean, I can work with it. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, Well, welcome. We are in week four of a series called Called Out. And I was pretty proud of this graphic because not every state can use that, you know, Um, but we can. So uh, we are in a series called Called Out, and we have been talking about choosing calling over comfort. Now, uh, this may come as a surprise to all of you guys, but I was actually involved in softball as a kid. Um, It's okay to laugh, that's fine. Uh, (laughs) uh, The Hafner clan, we are not an athletic bunch, okay? This might not come as a surprise to you, but we were never really very good at the athletics. But for some god-awful reason, uh, my parents insisted that in the summertime, each of us would be involved in softball or baseball. And honestly, I was really looking forward to it, because I got to use my sister's old softball glove, and anything that I could use of my sister's, who was seven years older than me, like, automatically had street cred, okay? (laughs) And so I was pretty excited, but it came around for me to be involved in softball. And so I was on the Dodgers, Um, of Mitchell, South Dakota, okay, Uh, don't hold it against me. Uh, But I was on the team called the Dodgers. We had uh, blue and white t-shirts and, I don't know, it was cool. But let me tell you what, I hated it. Uh, I did not enjoy it very much, Uh, not only because I'm really competitive, but I'm not like, fast at running or anything, um, but I, I, I really didn't, d- didn't like it very much because I was on a team of like the most popular stuck-up girls in my entire grade, and all my friends were on another team. I think they were on the Yankees or something, and I wanted to be on the Yankees, but I got stuck on the Dodgers. And so what happened while I was a part of this team is that, one, I'm one of the clumsiest people I've ever met. So I got skinned knees like every single time I went. Two, I'm not that fast of a runner, so I was out all the time. And three, uh, my mom actually got me a water bottle that it wasn't a water bottle so much as like one of those plastic coffee thermoses and it was bright yellow and it had Daffy Duck on it. (laughs) And I thought I was like the coolest person and I rolled up to softball that day ready for them everybody else to just fall in line and what happened was i got a girl that said why do you have a thermos who even likes daffy duck and i was just deflated i went home and i was like mom i don't want to be a part of this team anymore do you see my knees and they don't even like daffy duck what kind of monsters are those you know and (laughs) and i'm like i can't be a part of this and and i remember my mom she was like wow that really sucks. Wow, that's really terrible, Lindsay. And then she drove me back to softball. (laughs) And and I think a lot of times in Scripture, uh, we see the heart of God, and it's reflected in parenting. And this is one of those moments that a lot of times we find a struggle, a frustrating moment in our lives, and God empathizes with us, but he still loads us up in the minivan, and leaves us there. Now, uh, throughout the course of this series, we have been talking about being called out of things, called out of kind of bad things. Uh, Last week, Elizabeth talked about being called out of selfishness. Ouch, okay? Uh, Week before that, we talked about being called out of complacency. Week before that, Kurt did a great job of talking about calling out of comfort. But this week... I actually want to call you into something. Uh, The title of today's message is Called Into the World. Now, interesting to me is when you look at the scripture and when you look at the narrative of scripture, oftentimes God calls his people to be set apart, but rarely does he set them apart. let Let me put it a different way. Oftentimes God says, Don't be a part of the world but he leaves us here. Don't be a part of the world, but you're still going to be in the world. You know, he still loads us up in the minivan, tells us to figure out the game, to make some friends, to not not be a part of the bullying, and takes us and says, this is where you are. Today I want to look at a prayer in scripture, and this actually comes uh, right before Jesus goes to the cross. And he's with his closest friends, his disciples, and he decides that he's going to pray for them. Now, when we read this text, it is mainly Jesus talking directly to God. So let's read this. It's in John 17, verse 9. It says, My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you. And you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. Now, uh, to paint the picture here, Jesus is looking forward to what is going to happen. And he says, guys, I'm leaving. And he prays this prayer, Jesus, Lord, protect them. And I think it's probably the same prayer uh, my mom prayed as I was walking towards the softball fields. Lord, Jesus, protect her. (laughs) Lord, Jesus, no broken bones today, you know. And he says, Lord, protect them. And yet, he leaves them behind. And not only so, but his entire ministry has been focused on kind of destroying what the world has deemed as good. He says the world doesn't value the same things as the Lord values. Uh, He says things like, oh, the world has a wrong set of kingdom mindset. The kingdom of God is different from the kingdom that you're experiencing now. And then he even goes as far and he says the religious rulers that you fall under Corrupt. And as soon as he's getting traction, as he's getting a group of followers, and they're like, Yeah, actually, he's right. He goes, I'm going to leave now. Uh, I'm glad that you agree, but see ya. Jump back into verse 13. He says, Now I'm coming to you, to God, and I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. And, and he says, listen, they don't belong here. They don't belong to this world. And of this verse, we get a very common Christian phrase. We are in the world, but not of it. And that's pretty scriptural. Like, I'm not going to tear that apart. In John 15, verse 19, it says, the world will love you, as one of its own, if you belong to it. But you're no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. And there's this clear picture all throughout the New Testament that this world is not our home, that we weren't made for this world. And actually, uh, throughout the text, you see that the word world is used pretty often. However, for you and I, when we say world, (laughs) we mean earth. Uh, When the Bible says world, it means a multitude of things. Uh, Sometimes it means earth. Sometimes it means, like, cosmos, like all that is and ever was, everything that God has created. And then other times, in this scripture, it means Satan's influence. It means the enemy's power, now, Scripture actually says that the enemy is the ruler of this world. 1 John 5, we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And Scripture explains that, that Satan has influence in this world. And I don't think that that you know, comes as a surprise to you. You, know, you live here, <laughs> right? You know, you wake up to the news. Uh, you see the evil and the injustices that happen in this world. Just the other day I was reading an article about 30 places in Colorado Springs that practice human trafficking. It's not this far off distant place, but it's here in our city. We wake up to it every morning, and Jesus says, you are not to be a part of this world. You are not to be a part of this influence. No, you are, when you put your faith in Christ, sin's power, the enemy's influence on your life, is broken now does that mean that you'll never sin again no unfortunately but what it does mean is that the hold that the world has on you it breaks and you're no longer trapped under the weight of this world and that the more that we pursue Jesus the less and less powerful that sin has on our lives and and he says we are not to be of this world and we are not to be under the power of this world But here's the catch, we're still here, (laughs) okay, we're still here, he didn't take us out with him, you know, when he ascended into heaven, he was like, bye guys, you know, peace. (laughs) Uh, And he didn't didn't float us up with any. It was absolutely possible for him to do this. And this blows my mind. He tells us that the world is full of evil. He tells us that Satan is the ruler of this world. He prays for protection for us in John 17. And yet, he leaves us here. That, to me, sounds like a massive oversight, okay? (laughs) Like, what in the world? And he shows us why. He says in John 17, verse 15, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you become a Christian, there's still temptation, isn't there? And sometimes it gets a little stronger, because now all of a sudden you know all the things that you shouldn't be doing, Okay. And temptation happens whether or not you believe in Jesus or not. Like, but when you believe in Jesus, it's still there. And why do I say this? Jesus knows that it was very risky to leave you here. It was a lot riskier than raising you up into heaven with him. And he understands that there's great risk. And yet he still does it. <laughs> and he says, protect them in the world don't remove them from it. He says, protect them in the world. And and this this is the reason for it, because the world is where God's work happens. The world is where God's work happens, and God's work is not done. In fact, if he were to remove all the Christians, it would frustrate God's divine plan for your life. And he doesn't pray that we would be immune to the world. He says, protect them as they live in this world and reflect me in the midst of it. And that's like a beautiful moment. You know, if I was one of the disciples listening to the prayer, I would just be sobbing, you know, I'm not like crying, like ugly crying, right? And I would be touched by this moment. But you and I, we know what happens in a couple days after this prayer. You and I, we know that just a few days after this, Jesus is led away to his death. And and he dies after saying, don't be a part of this world, be protected by this world. He dies on the world's cross. Uh, The people that were in the room that day, they saw him calling them into the world, and then they watched Jesus live out his calling. And suddenly, man, reflecting Jesus' image is not that great. In the same way, we love to say things like, in this world, but not of it, until we realize that it costs us something, until we realize that it's going to cost us uh, our selfishness, until we realize that it's going to cost us our pride and our money, and our greed, and our stuff, and the things that we do on the weekends. It costs us everything. So uh, change gears a little bit with me. I recently adopted a dog. (laughs) Um, I have a picture of her, look at her, (laughs) oh yes, I love this picture. Um, Her name is Lucy, say hi Lucy. Oh, thank you um, for, yes, Lucy has been, is a very cute dog, she is about five pounds, five, six pounds, wet, I don't know, Um, and she is a Yorkie and a bunch of other stuff, and um, she is one of the sweetest dogs that I have ever met. I've never seen her growl, really. Uh, she doesn't bite. She's just beautiful and soft. One day, Valerie actually just rubbed her on her face because she's just, she's just a good dog. Um, and many of you have asked me, you know, how is life with a dog? You're a cat person, and um, thank you for checking on me. Uh, and <laughs> I will tell you that, that Lucy has been great. Now, uh, the only catch that Lucy comes with is that she has crazy separation anxiety. Crazy separation anxiety. Like, when I leave, it's like, I don't know, something that I expect a reaction from when you watch a horror movie, okay? Um, So I actually have to trick her into thinking that I'm not leaving the house which is really weird for a dog and a person, okay, like, hey, I'm not leaving, just walking outside, you know, I don't know, but, but I have to trick her into thinking that I'm not going anywhere, and a couple weeks ago, it was the first Sunday that I owned her, and I left her at my, at my house, and I put a baby gate in front of my door to my bedroom, and left her in my bedroom, and I thought, perfect, she'll be in there, she's got food, water, toys, bed, everything, she's fine, Four hours later, I come home, and I walk in the back door, and Lucy greets me. (laughs) And I think, okay, this doesn't make sense. Um, And so I think, you know, maybe I just didn't put it on, like, tight enough. So I walk over there. Gate's still there. I'm a little confused, and I've had a cat for a while, so I'm thinking, how did this tiny dog jump over this fence? (laughs) How did she get over this? And so I'm looking trying to figure out how she jumped over it, and then I realize that something like off of a Kool-Aid commercial or a, or a cartoon, there was a Lucy-sized hole in the gate where she just busted through. <laughs> just busted through. And I just imagined, like, and I didn't see it, but I just imagined she just looked at it, and she's like, all right, we got to do it. Boom! And just busted through this gate. And she freaked out. And, and I think that similar to this is that when Jesus left, We all kind of had a decision on how we were going to handle it. And we all just kind of freaked out. You know, the church at large just kind of freaked out. Now that he's not here, what am I supposed to do? And I think that there are two traps that Christians have fallen into as their response to Jesus not being here. And the first one is this. We avoid the world. We avoid it at all costs. You know, I'm not in the world, or I'm in the world but not of it, so I'll just... Avoid it. And this, this isn't a new theology. Uh, there were three different types of Judaism before Jesus came, and one of them was the Essenes. Now, the Essenes are probably my favorite ones because I find them very fascinating. Uh, they decided that if there was no sin around them, then it wouldn't be an option, and they could be holier. Fair enough, you know? You remove, you remove the option to sin so then you don't sin. So they decided that they were going to move on the outskirts of town. Uh, They set up communal living. They took a vow of poverty. Uh, They spent all day and all night reading the scripture, and they lived together, and they shared everything in this communal living outside of the city. Now, I have watched enough Netflix documentaries to know that if it looks like a fish and smells like a fish, it's probably a cult, okay? (laughs) But, But this is terrifying, is it not? Like, that God created you in his image. He created this world with his two hands, and we ignore it. We abandon it. We run from it. You have been given the greatest gift that humanity has ever known, the hope of Jesus. You should be some of the easiest people to get a hold of. You know, you should be some of the easiest people for people that are far from Christ to know. You should be some of the easiest people to invite in and to laugh with. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, and we, or and he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Can you just say that word? Ambassadors. No, but like you you mean it. Ambassadors, yeah, okay as though God were making his appeal through us. Paul says, you have been given this message. And the reason Jesus didn't take you up into heaven with him is because he needs you here. You are his ambassadors. Say it again. Ambassadors? (laughs) Thank you. I saw little head swivels with that one. Uh, But you are his ambassadors. Meaning, you're in a foreign land, in a place that you are not made for. But you are here To bring restoration, to bring forgiveness, to bring healing, to bring uh, joy. And I don't know if you realize this, but this morning when you woke up and you were like brushing your teeth and picking out last night's wedgie, you're God's plan for this world. Like, come on, you are God's plan for this one. You are God's plan for your family. You are God's plan for your coworkers. You are God's plan for your friends, for your kids. A lot of times, man alive, people say, oh man, I just wish that there were more people at the Anchor Church. Let me tell you what, guess what? You are God's plan for this church as well. And it's on us. that like God has given us this message to be reconcilers to this world. And we can't do that in hiding. We can't do that by just avoiding it all. We have to engage this world. We have to be a part of it. Now the second uh, trap that we have fallen into, and this one is like way in the opposite direction, is that we get entangled in the world. Now maybe you're listening to the past one and you said, not like avoiding the world, I love this place. Like, this place is great. And this also can be hurtful. Uh, David Kinnaman, he did a study of the differences in lifestyles between Christians and non-Christians. And after he conducted this study, this was his statement. Americans are a unique blend of contradictions. The respect, patience, self-control, and kindness of born-again Christians should astound people. But the lifestyles and the relationships of born-again believers are not much different than others. He says there's very little difference between the two, between somebody who knows Jesus and follows him and somebody that doesn't. And he says we are filled, and I can't get past that, a unique blend of contradictions. And so where, does it, where do we find ourselves this morning? I think that we need to find that there is a clear difference from being in something, and being of something. Uh, To put it this way, in the world speaks to our point of location, of the world speaks to our source of influence. In the world, point of location, of the world, source of influence. Now uh, I go to Walmart to go grocery shopping quite often, and I'm a list maker, okay, so I get this little app on my phone where I can check things off and sometimes if I forget something, I'll be honest, I'll put it into the list just so I can check it off, you know. Um, I'm one of those weirdos. But uh, I, I make a list and I go to Walmart. Now, being in Walmart and being of Walmart are two different things. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> there was another place I could have taken this, but I'm going to go PG. All right. So, so being in Walmart, I can go there with my list of things that I need. I can walk in there, I can get the list, and I can leave. However, the second that there is a product display that catches my eye, and I think, I need one of those, suddenly, I am not just in Walmart. (laughs) I am influenced by Walmart, right? And there's a difference. When you are in this world, you are given a task. You are given a task to be messengers of reconciliation and not to be influenced by this world. A good question to ask is, what influences my decisions most? Is it my success or my wealth? Is it my appearance? Is it my comfort? Or is it God's calling? Is it the challenges that Jesus gives on my life? Is it the kingdom purpose? And this is where we find the balance to solve this conundrum that you are called into this world. You are called into this world not to avoid it, not to be scared of it. Like, guys, I've read the end. He wins, okay? You don't need to be scared of it. You don't need to avoid it. It's not going to ruin you. You just cannot let it influence you. You are called to interact with it. Not to let it rule your heart or your decisions, but actually to flip the script and influence the enemy's influence on this world. I think one of the perfect examples of this to be in the world but not of it is scuba diving. I have a picture of a scuba diver, which I thought that was pretty cool. But um, SCUBA, I didn't realize this, is an acronym. Uh, It stands for self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. I don't, I don't have them, and I assume you don't either. Uh, we weren't born with gills, okay? Uh, so, so we can't go very deep in the water and stay there for very long. And so we have to put these huge masks on our face and get oxygen. But did you know that at a certain point when you are diving, oxygen itself becomes toxic to you? Uh, it's called oxygen toxicity and it's a condition resulting from harmful effects of breathing molecular oxygen at an increased pressure. Meaning if I go down and the pressure increases, my lifeline is no longer a lifeline. Meaning that the deeper a scuba diver goes, the riskier it becomes, and also the more important it is that they maintain communication with the people that are on the surface level. In the same way, the deeper you're involved in this world, the more important your lifeline becomes. The the more that you are involved in other people's lives, the more that you have to take care of your lifeline. The more we have to take care of the things that fill us up, that keep us alive, that keep us supported. I want to invite Kurt up here um, as I end, but I hear a lot of people that will say, Lindsay, if I just worked in a Christian environment, my life would just fall right into place. And that could be great for some people. But what if God is not asking you to change your location? What if he's asking you to change your influence? To change the thing that you depend on? To not let the pressures of this world injure you, but to intentionally spend time coming up for air? I think that we live in a world where most Christians... They get all suited up in their scuba gear, and then they float on the top of the shoreline, never actually going into the depths, never exploring the world beneath, never seeing what God has for them, what God has made them and equipped them and strengthened them to do. How stupid would it be for me to go out and spend all this money to scuba dive and never take the plunge? Now, this, this sermon is called Called Into the World, and usually a sermon that is called Called Into the World ends with like this robust call, like, go out there. If you haven't invited them 20 times, invite them 20 more, you know, and like do more things and find more people to bring to Jesus. And if you get that from this message, cool, take it home. Like, do it. But I want to end a little differently today. Because what I have found is that when your life is not attracting new, or people that do not have Christ, that do not have hope, a lot of times it's not for a lack of effort, but it's for a lack of health. That our lifeline is not healthy. That we are not healthy enough to dive deeper. And so I want to ask you, when was the last time? That you took a moment, it doesn't have to be like a sabbatical, but a moment away from the things that press in on you, just to focus on Jesus. What does your lifeline look like right now? How long could you last under there? Or are you deep (laughs) with no hope? You know, I love Sunday mornings, but you will never learn to go deeper if it's just Sunday mornings. Um, You cannot live off of just eating once a day. (laughs) Nobody says to the scuba diver, like, just on Sundays, we're going to give you oxygen. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Uh, You have to have an ongoing relationship with your lifeline. So what does that look like for you? You know, people connect with God in different ways. I think some of us, we journal. Others of us, we, we get alone. And like, I imagine this is Kurtz, but just like uninterrupted silence. <laughs> uh, others of us, we listen to worship music. We go on walks. Well, what does that look like for you? And when was the last time you did it? Would you bow your heads and, and just take a posture of prayer, whatever that means? And I just want you to imagine looking at your lifeline, knowing that you live in a world that you are not created for. What keeps you focused on the world that you are created for? What supports you? What encourages you? What calls you out? What challenges you to be more like Jesus? For some of us, we're asking this question for the first time. What is one thing that I can do to make sure that my relationship with Jesus is intimate. That it's life-giving. That it's energizing. As we sing this last song, I want to allow this time to be a time of prayer. A time where you say, Lord, search me and show me the ways that you want to connect with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that all around this room that each one of us could hear from you. God, I love the, I love the kingdom of God because we are so different and we are so unique and we connect with you in unique and powerful ways. Jesus, but in the same way that I cannot pour out of an empty bucket, I want my life to be filled with your presence. Jesus, would you you show to us how you want us to interact with you? Lord, maybe it's in a new way. Lord, maybe it means that we have to set some priorities differently. Lord Jesus, I don't know what it looks like. But I do know that you wait for us there. Just as you waited for us here this morning.